This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Well, friends, another Sunday of Lent, another Johannine masterpiece. This time, the story of the raising of Lazarus. I mentioned last week how these magnificent stories from John will appeal especially to poetically-minded people, people plugged into the literary forms, because John is such a genius, spiritual genius, but also a literary genius. And you see it now in these wonderful stories of the woman at the well, Nicodemus, the man born blind, and now the raising of Lazarus. Again, the details always matter with John. We hear of a certain man named Lazarus, which means God helps. He's lying ill in the town of Bethany, which means the house of the afflicted. We're meant to see something here, of course. This is a story about all of us who are in any way afflicted and seeking the help of God. That means, of course, every one of us. You see how we all live in Bethany. We all live in the house of the afflicted. Whether it's physical afflictions, mental, spiritual, psychological, whatever they are, we all live in Bethany. And we're all Lazarus because we're all seeking the help of God. So right away, John's telling us it's a story, yes, about this historical figure, Lazarus, but it's a story about everyone listening to him. Lazarus, we hear now, is the brother of Martha and Mary. And the gospel writer carefully tells us that Jesus loved all of them. So we're all meant to identify with these three siblings, friends of Jesus, the beloved of God. See, this is everybody. We're all the friends of God. Jesus loves everyone. But hearing that Lazarus is sick, Jesus oddly does not rush to his bedside, but rather waits for two days. Now, I bet everybody listening to me has experienced the puzzlement of this. Why, when we are so obviously in pain, does God seem to delay I mean, why doesn't God just deal with our pain? I mean, any believer wrestles with that problem. All right, I'm Lazarus. I'm looking for God's help. I'm in Bethany. I'm in the house of the afflicted. And here's God, here's Christ who can help, but he doesn't come. He delays. Well, the answer comes. Jesus says, the Son of Man will be glorified through the illness and death of Lazarus. Now, you say, okay, it's not really helping me here too much because I'm looking for God's help. And now God tells me, oh, by the way, I'm going to be glorified in your death, in your sickness. But now wait, though, wait. Because in the Bible, God's glory is what? Precisely God's life-giving quality. 
God is glorified in his great acts of love. That's why St. Irenaeus, whom I love to quote here, can say the glory of God, same word, the doxa, the glory of God, is a human being fully alive. See, So don't, don't despair here when Jesus says, look, I'm delaying and the sickness and death of Lazarus will be for my glory. That means for our life. See, something of great power is going to be revealed here precisely through the death of Lazarus. Now, without hearing any news from anybody, Jesus blithely announces to his disciples that Lazarus is asleep. When they register confusion about this, he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Yet, that original language, I think, is extremely important. This whole story is about the non-finality of death. When viewed from a purely scientific or naturalistic standpoint, death, of course, is it. It's the end. It's absolute. But, and here's the hinge upon which this whole story turns, when viewed from the standpoint of God, death is rather something like sleeping. It is a transitional state to a greater and richer mode of existence. I mean, that's that's what this story, and in some ways the whole of the New Testament, hinges upon that insight. Death is something like sleeping for those who have faith. Now, upon arrival in Bethany, Jesus discovers that Lazarus has been in his grave for four days. One could hardly imagine a clearer indication of the finality and irreversibility of death. What's being implied here is that no power, at least no earthly power, could ever bring him back from that condition. Unless, of course, what? Love, the divine love, is more powerful than death. Remember now the importance of that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The only power greater than the power of death is the divine love with which Christ loves Lazarus. We hear that Martha runs out to meet Jesus while Mary stays at home. This fits rather well, doesn't it, with what we know of them from the other Gospels. Martha is more the person of action, Mary the person of contemplation. So you see both those moves going on. Martha expresses her great confidence in Jesus. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But see, her words reveal something that she hasn't quite seen to the heart of it. She still thinks of Jesus, if you want, as a kind of saint, great saint, who has the ear of God. Oh, but he's more than that. As we saw last week in the story of the man born blind, he's not just a man who's from God. He's God from God, light from light. And that's why Jesus corrects her. Listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, shall live. Here's the heart of it. Jesus is the divine life. Ego eimi, I am who I am. He is the divine life. Therefore, whoever cleaves to him, whoever lives in him, whoever is grafted onto him, will share in the life that he has. That's the key here. That's the hinge. 
Just as the man born blind we heard last week was salved, then he was dipped into the water of Siloam. He was baptized into Christ. That's how he came to see. So now, if you're grafted onto the one who is in his own person, the resurrection and the life, then you will live even through physical death. The same point in some ways is being made here that was made last week, but with these stunning implications. At this point, we hear that Martha calls to Mary, and Mary gets up instantly and comes to Jesus. Now, it's a very interesting detail. Remember Mary, we hear in other Gospels, is sitting at the feet of Jesus in the attitude of a disciple. She's just uh, hanging on his words. Well, here, the minute she, she understands that Jesus has called to her, she gets up, she runs to him. But, and here's the thing that uh, that's, I think is intriguing. Many of the women who were there followed her thinking she was going to the tomb to weep. Now, this was a common thing. You know, when someone died, official mourners would come out. And what they did is some of them were even hired for this. They would wail and weep and mourn with the um, members of the family. So that's who's here at the tomb of Lazarus. And they see Mary on the move, and so they come thinking she's going to the tomb. But she doesn't go to the tomb. She goes to Christ. And that's a very interesting move, isn't it? Her instinct, even at this moment of great grief, when probably everything in her system was saying, well, go to this tomb of your brother. You know, we pour out your heart there. But she doesn't go to the tomb. She goes to him. What follows is, I think, one of the most moving scenes in the Bible. Because we hear in this simple, laconic language of John that Jesus weeps. It's the only time in the Gospels that he's portrayed as weeping. We see lots of emotions in Jesus. We can see exultation. You can, you can see anger. You can see deep uh, um, suffering. But here you see... Jesus weeping. Revisit a time now in your own life when you are weeping over the death of a loved one. I think of the death of my own father now many years ago. And just that, that awful, awful sense of abandonment, of finality. And, and the human response is that we just, we just weep in the, in the face of this dreadful finality. We tend quite naturally to imagine Jesus in in rather commanding ways, preaching, teaching, healing. But this is his entry into the worst of the human condition. The terrible sense of loss at the death of someone we love. You know, it's just a tragedy built into human life that death will eventually separate us from one another. It just will, period. Married couples talk about that. I've heard older married couples say that their, their fondest desire is that they would die together somehow, whether in a crash or a fire or something. They would die together because otherwise one of them will be alone. And it's true. Death separates us eventually from everyone, friends and wives, husbands, kids. It's, it's the central tragedy of human life. The point here is that Jesus enters into that. 
he weeps with this convulsive grief that we all feel at the death of a loved one. The pathos of Jesus here is the pathos of God in the presence of this tragedy. He comes to the tomb, which in the Jewish manner is a cave with a stone laid across it. Again, what, a be- what better image of the finality of death, that stone rolled across the tomb. Martha, commonsensically enough, says, Lord, by now there'll be a stench. It's another way of, of just saying you can't undo death. Death has its way. The stone and the smell are final. But Jesus refuses that. In a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. As we've seen now, themes of creation abound in the Gospel of John. God created light, and Jesus says to the man born blind, I am the light of the world. God fashions out of clay. Jesus makes clay and spreads it on the blind man's eyes. Here, the voice, the word is being emphasized. In the beginning was the word, says St. John, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is the word by which Yahweh makes the whole world, the word that that affects what it says. The same word now that made the planets and the stars speaks, and with the same creative, powerful effect. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot, and his face wrapped in a cloth. You see what's being signaled here, friends? God's word incarnate in Jesus Christ is more powerful than death. That is the incredibly liberating, uplifting word we're meant to hear in this great gospel. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers every day, everywhere.